Well, hey everyone, thanks for joining us today. It is great to be with you wherever you happen to be right now. Maybe you're watching this service with a group of friends or family. You might be sitting on the couch with your cat, or who knows, maybe you're from the future and you're watching this old video from 2020. And if that's you, I hope you're having a better year than we are. But whoever you are, we're glad you're here. We are in the fourth week of what we call the Strong Challenge. And this is a 10-week series where we are looking to God and we're asking Him to help us get spiritually strong. Now, in case you haven't been with us, here's a quick rundown of what we've covered so far. In week one, we talked about prayer. When we get serious about prayer, we're connecting with the God who has all the strength we need. In week two, we looked at the importance of digging into Scripture. We talked about the strength that comes from taking God's Word into our minds and into our hearts on a daily basis. Then last week, our worship minister, Troy, brought a powerful message about serving. Troy challenged us to follow the example of Jesus and serve others everywhere we go. Now, the title of today's sermon is Give, and we're going to talk about generosity. And just like last week, I think all of us will be challenged by this message as well. And you know, some of you might be thinking, I'm not sure this is the sermon I want to hear right now. And I get that, because in the conversations I've had recently, I know a lot of us feel stressed out or beat up or stretched too thin, or we're just plain discouraged. We're also living in a time when a lot of people are struggling financially. The global economy has taken a massive hit this year. Thousands and thousands of Americans lost their jobs just this week. So let's be honest. Is this really a good time to focus on generosity? Should we maybe wait until things get a little better before we talk about giving? Well, first of all, I want you to know that next week's sermon will deal with a lot of the frustration and the discouragement we've been feeling lately. Uh, We're going to hit that head on. For today, though... I believe this is actually a good time to see what the Bible says about giving. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I believe that. There is a true blessing in giving. There is joy in generosity. Generosity takes the focus off of ourselves and directs our attention to God and to others. And you know, that's a very helpful thing. An outward focus is also one of the hallmarks of a strong faith. And that's exactly what we're asking for right now. We're asking God to build spiritual strength in us. I want that for me, and I want it for you too. So yes, we're going to talk about giving today. And that does apply to our finances, but it goes way beyond money. The truth is, in every area of life, followers of Jesus should be known for our generosity. The Apostle Paul talked about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He said, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now, Paul writes these words to a group of Christians in the city of Corinth. And right here, he's saying, Hey, you guys have a lot of good things going for you. Your faith is strong. You can articulate that faith well. You know the truth. You're sincere about following Jesus. And we love all those things about you. But then Paul says, don't stop there. 
you also need to grow in this practice of giving. You need to learn how to give like Jesus did. A couple verses later, Paul writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's such a cool way to explain what Jesus did for us. Jesus was rich beyond anything we could imagine, but he set all of that aside. He became human, a a homeless man walking the dusty roads of Palestine. And then in the ultimate act of generosity, Jesus gave up his life on the cross so that you and I could receive the extravagant riches of God's grace. And for all of us who received that gift, it totally makes sense that we would follow in Jesus' footsteps and grow strong in the practice of giving. For genuine followers of Christ, sacrificial generosity becomes a way of life. But now for that statement to become a reality, we need to take a close look at Scripture and a close look at ourselves. We'll spend most of our time in 2 Corinthians today, and we'll leave chapter 8 and go over to chapter 9. And Paul is still writing to the Corinthians here, and he's still talking about generosity. But before we read any further, let me give you a little context. We can think of this passage as a tale of three churches. First, you have the church in Jerusalem. When you look at this map, Jerusalem is way down in the southeast corner. Next, you have the church in Corinth, which is up north in Greece. And if you go even farther north, you get to Macedonia, and that's where you'd find church number three. Now, Paul wrote 2 Corinthians around the year 55 AD. And in that time, life in the Roman Empire was very difficult. Times were especially hard for those Christians down in Jerusalem. There was a famine in that region, and that was a big problem for the church because followers of Christ were ostracized because of their faith. A lot of people just didn't want to do business with them. And because of all that, the Christians in Jerusalem had become extremely poor. They they were struggling to survive. Now, Paul knew that the body of Christ was designed to come together and meet needs just like this. So he went around places like Corinth and Macedonia, and he took up a collection for the church in Jerusalem. And Paul discovered a surprising thing. Up in Macedonia, those Christians were also fairly poor, but they gave more than the Corinthian Christians who had more disposable income. And that's why Paul said to the Corinthian church, hey guys, you're doing really well in a lot of areas, but you still need to grow in generosity. And you should know that your poor neighbors up north in Macedonia, they're giving until it hurts. And so yes, Paul was challenging the Corinthian church to become sacrificially generous. But not just to keep up with the Macedonians, and not just to meet the need in Jerusalem, although that was certainly important. But it was more than that. Paul understood that when the church develops a habit of sacrificial generosity as a way of life, everyone gets blessed. The recipients are blessed because their needs are met. The givers get a sense of joy and fulfillment, and God gets the glory. So that's the context. And now we can look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In verse 6, Paul says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. 
So you see the analogy here, right? Paul is using farmer language. If you plant just a few seeds, you get a small crop. But if you plant a ton of seeds, you're far more likely to have a huge crop. And this principle directly applies to our giving. If you share just a little, you will see a few blessings, but far less than what's possible. It's only when you share a lot that you'll see how much God can bless both you and others through your generosity. Now, what might hold us back from being generous? Well, there are several things, but a preacher named Craig Grishel talks about something he calls a scarcity mindset. When you have a scarcity mindset, you feel like there's never enough. There's never enough money to buy what you want to buy. There's never enough savings to make you feel completely secure. Now, we can all remember a perfect example of the scarcity mindset. We just have to think back a few months. Right after COVID-19 brought our country to a standstill, what happened? People were like, toilet paper! We can't get caught without toilet paper! So they ran to the stores, they started clearing the shelves, and all of a sudden, it was hard to find a 12-pack of Charmin. And that's what a scarcity mindset looks like. And you know, this feeling of scarcity, it really comes down to a lack of trust. It's a nagging doubt that God may not provide you with what you need. And you know, it is very interesting that we would have this mindset in the United States because the reality is the vast majority of Americans have been blessed by God in an extraordinary way. Let's put things in perspective for just a second. Nearly half the world lives on less than $5.50 a day. Did you catch that? $5.50 a day. That's an income of just $2,000 per year. And again, that's, that's what half the world makes. Now, if you really want to dig into this, I found a calculator online called How Rich Am I? And if you want to try this, just go to Google or wherever and search How Rich Am I? But it's really simple. You enter your annual income along with the number of adults and the number of children in your household, and it compares your wealth to the rest of the world. For example, if you are a single adult earning $30,000 a year, you are richer than over 95% of the global population. Now, I know that financial problems are very real in this country, but it's good to remember that the vast majority of Americans have been blessed by God in an extraordinary way. In other words, we have enough to be generous. Now, you may not be able to give away tons of money, but that's not what we're talking about here. It's not about an amount. It's about a percentage. It's about the heart. Jesus talked about this when he saw a poor widow at the temple giving her offering to God. That woman gave just two small coins. Her gift was only worth a few cents. But when Jesus saw that, he turned to his disciples and he said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, as poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Clearly, that woman did not have a scarcity mindset, did she? For her, sacrificial generosity was a way of life because she trusted that God would provide. Now, for some of us, that story makes us a little nervous. It seems kind of crazy that this woman gave everything she had to live on. 
And sure, we have to put this story alongside other parts of the Bible that talk about handling our money in a responsible way. But that doesn't change the fact that according to Jesus, this woman gives a good example for us to follow. She challenges all of us, myself included, to excel in this grace of giving. So what's going to help us grow in this area? What's going to help us give strong? Well, just about every time I talk about this, I point out that we need to start with a foundational belief. And here it is. Everything belongs to God. That's the message in Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So whatever you have is not really yours. Whatever you own doesn't really belong to you. We were talking about this concept with our kids a while back, and our daughter, Kenna, said, so it's kind of like a library. God lets us borrow things that belong to him. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty good, Kenna. That's exactly what it's like. God has put certain things into our care. We're not the true owners. We're just stewards. And that goes for my money and my stuff, but also my time and my talents, even my children. All of those things belong to God. But this type of thinking does not come naturally to us. From a very early age, we think of our stuff as our stuff. A baby is a good example. Think about it. What are the first words that babies learn to say? Dada and mama are at the top of the list, but it's not too long before they're saying, mine, 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 mine. That is an impulse that we all have. So throughout our lives, we have to keep coming back to Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And that means when it comes to our finances, the question is not how much of my money will I give away? The question is how much of God's money am I going to keep? Now, if you're in a huddle group as a part of our strong challenge, you'll get to answer a fun question when you meet this week. And the question is this, if your income happened to double next year for whatever reason, what would you do with the extra money? How much would you keep and how much would you give away? Now, you already know that you can live on half that amount. So what do you think God would want you to do in that situation? It's a very interesting thing to think about. In fact, this is a great thing to pray about. Even if your income does not double, we can say, Lord, with the money that you've put into my care, how much do you want me to spend? How much do you want me to save? And how much do you want me to give away? I'd love to know how you feel about that prayer. Would that be a fun conversation to have with God or would it feel kind of threatening? Well, if you're starting to feel threatened, I wanna encourage you to relax because at the end of the day, God does not want your money. It's all his anyway. What he wants is your heart. He wants to know that you have a genuine love for him. That's why Jesus was so impressed with that widow at the temple. She gave a sacrificial gift because of her great love for God. You know, one definition of the word sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love more. And that woman proved that her love for God was far greater than her love of money. So God's not trying to twist your arm. He's just a good father and he wants to be loved by his children. I really appreciate it when my kids express their love for me. They do that in all kinds of ways, and it always means a lot. 
but I would never try to coerce them to show their love because that defeats the whole purpose, right? And so back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we see that God's heart is very similar. Verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's a famous quote, God loves a cheerful giver. He loves it when we give cheerfully because number one, that's proof that we love him more than our money. And number two, he gets to bless us and bless others through our generosity. You know, we have seen those blessings here at Plum Creek again and again. And now in 2020, I'm especially thankful for the faithful generosity of the Plum Creek family, both in the past and here in the present. Like other churches, we're in the middle of a storm right now, but praise God, we're in a great position to weather the storm. That's not true in a lot of places, but I am so thankful that Plum Creek is in a solid financial position. And that hasn't happened by accident. Years ago, people gave sacrificially to purchase land, to build worship facilities, and then to reduce our debt. Many of you know that we sold our old building as well as a portion of our land. And now we're able to build an addition to our current facility without increasing our debt. And this new building will be the home of our student ministry and our sharing center. And this project is still moving forward because of the generosity of people at Plum Creek. And we're gonna use this addition as a tool to lead people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Countless people will be blessed because of cheerful givers in this church. Our outreach in the community and our financial support of our missionary partners around the globe will continue because of cheerful givers in this church. So what's behind that cheerfulness? Where does it come from? Well, cheerful giving is the natural response of a heart that has been changed by the love of Christ. When you appreciate what Jesus has done for you, you want others to experience his love, and you'll give with that mission in mind. So we've looked at several things that can help us grow in generosity. But before we're done, we need to look at a few specifics. First, let's ask this question. What is my strategy for giving? A couple years ago, I shared a distinction that I find very helpful. A preacher named Andy Stanley talks about the difference between a 3S giver and a 3P giver. And here's the comparison. 3S giving is what comes naturally to most of us. The three S's are spontaneous, sporadic, and sparing. Now, this type of giver is living in the moment. For example, at Christmas, a three S giver could walk by that red bucket next to the person ringing the bell, and they might say, sure, I'll drop something in. And of course, that's a great thing to do. But a three S giver has no pre-planned amount, no schedule of giving. It's just a little here and a little there. And that can make you feel like a generous person. But that approach normally translates into a fairly small or a sparing amount of total giving. However, a 3P giver does things very differently. And this is actually the biblical method. 3P giving is based on priority. You give to God first. Percentage, you have a predetermined amount. And it's progressive. You make it a goal to give more and more over time. And we can see the difference right away. 3P giving is intentional. There's a plan. 
And like I said, all three of these P's have a biblical basis. Let's look at that first one, priority. Where do we get this idea of giving to God first? Well, that pattern goes back to the Old Testament. Under the law system, the people of Israel were required to give what was called a first fruits offering. We see one reference to that in Proverbs chapter 3, which says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. So that's kind of an Old Testament version of whoever sows generously will also reap generously. But the specific instruction here is to give to God first, before you give anywhere else, before you pay any other bills. Now, to be clear, there is no direct command in the New Testament requiring Christians to give a first fruits offering. And it is true that followers of Jesus are not under the law system, we're under grace. So we're not bound by a lot of the ceremonial guidelines from the days of ancient Israel. But remember, cheerful giving is the natural response of a heart that's been changed by the love of Christ. So we don't give out of fear or obligation or even reward. We give out of love and gratitude for what Jesus has done. And if love is our motivation and we've truly given God the number one place in our lives, would we not be even more inclined to give to God first? I do believe that we would. So that's the principle of priority. But let's move on to the second P, percentage. We already talked about the fact that we're not the true owners of what we have. God owns it all. We're just managers or stewards of God's good gifts. We borrowed those things from his library. And this is where we ask that question. How much of God's money does he want me to save and to spend on myself? And answering that question will tell you how much to give away. And eventually, we do have to land on a specific percentage, don't we? And this is very similar to what we said about first fruits. The Old Testament has a lot of passages where Israel is instructed to give a tithe to God. And a tithe is simply 10% of your income. The word tithe means 10%. So if you only give 5%, that's not a tithe. That's giving 5%. But today, does God expect followers of Jesus to give a tithe? Well, again, we're under grace, but we're back to that motivation of love and gratitude. If that's what's driving us, we're not looking to give as little as possible. We want to give as much as possible. And that takes us to the third P, progression. This is where we continue to grow in our giving. This is where we follow the example of the widow in the temple. Instead of thinking of 10% as the ceiling or the upper limit of what we might give, we can think of a tithe as the floor level. And from there, we just have fun seeing how generous we can be. That's what our family decided to do years ago. We started with something called the 10-10-80 plan. With the 10-10-80 plan, you take whatever money comes in and you give 10% to God, you save 10%, and then you live on the remaining 80%. That's a great starting point. But once you're following that 10-10-80 plan, you look at your budget and you find ways to progressively increase the percentage of what you give away. So priority, percentage, and progressive. Those are the P's of 3P giving. Now our challenge cards for this week will guide us through some of these principles. Just take the give cards from your deck 
or get on our Facebook page where we always post the cards for the current week and pray through these challenges. Now, for some people, these cards won't be overly challenging. This will just be another step of growth in what you're already doing. For others, though, this may seem like a real stretch. And I want you to know ahead of time, we're not giving out these challenges because we want something from you. I have no interest in guilting or pressuring someone to be more generous. Like Paul said, don't give reluctantly or under compulsion. Again, this is not something we want from you. It's something we want for you. We really believe it is better to give than to receive. We really believe there is a joy in being generous. And when we give, everyone gets blessed. The giver, the receiver, and God himself. That's what we see back in 2 Corinthians 9. In verse 8, Paul writes, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Our God is not a God of scarcity. He's a God of abundance. And when we look to him, he will supply what we need. Now, he may not give us everything we want. He may not give us what we think we need but he will give us what we truly need. And he will put us in a position where we can be generous. And did you notice that last phrase in verse 11? Your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And this is a powerful concept. Followers of Jesus should be generous in a way that looks irrational to the rest of the world. We should give to the point where others stop and ask, why are you doing this? And that's the perfect opportunity to say, you know what? God has really blessed me, and I want to pass that blessing on to others. Now, when our lives communicate that message, we give people a better impression of Jesus and his church. Somebody might say, you know, I don't believe in Christianity myself, but I'm glad they believe it because they are making a positive difference in the world. That's just what Paul said. Your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Your generosity can soften a person's heart so that one day they might find a life-changing relationship with Jesus. It's an amazing thing. When God's people live with sacrificial generosity, we point others to Jesus. So let's be open to, to what we've heard from Scripture today. Let's excel in this grace of giving. And you know, as we've looked at this topic today, I've focused on being generous with our finances because that's the context of this passage in 2 Corinthians. But as we wrap this up, I wanna encourage you to take a broad view of generosity. This goes way beyond our money. You can be generous with your time or your talent. You can be generous with encouragement or with hospitality. But in light of what's happening in our culture right now, I wanna mention one last option here. You and I can be generous with our listening. And here's what I mean by that. There are so many hot button issues causing division right now. And when people disagree on any of these issues, relationships can break down very quickly. Maybe one person gets angry and gives the other person a tongue lashing, or maybe they type a tongue lashing. 
Another common response is to just shut down, like you are an idiot and I'm done talking with you. But what if we choose to be generous with our listening? What if we actually sit down with the other person and give the gift of our attention? I'm not saying that you ignore your convictions. And I'm not denying the fact that some people actually do have nonsensical or even dangerous beliefs. What I am saying is that whoever the other person is, they were made in the image of God. That is someone Jesus died for. And God wants that person to spend eternity in heaven with him. And the truth is, we can usually learn something from anyone, even when we disagree with that person very strongly. But this is one more example where followers of Jesus can stand out. With something as simple as listening, our generosity can result in thanksgiving to God. This is one more practical way we can point others to Jesus. So let's go be generous this week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for who you are. You are a generous God. You loved this world so much that you gave your one and only son. And Jesus gave up his life for us. And so we thank you for that example. We thank you for your love. And I pray that you will help us to live lives of sacrificial generosity. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.